0: Welcome back to Midwretched, friends. We are so,
1: so excited to have you here
0: today. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. For what is bound to be, I'm sure, another sunny and delightful episode of What the Hell is Wrong with the Midwest, (laughs) which is basically the subscript of this show, I feel like. And this is a very special episode
1: of Midwretched. It is.
0: It's a very special edition of (laughs) Midwretched, with particular darkness too. particular
1: it, themes
0: this is yes
1: not a traditional you know true no. crime story but should we do our small talk it, the weather today was beautiful
0: <laughs> it really was we um went to one of the county parks here and did uh, it was really fun they have this great like na- nature natural place game so it's like um hallowed out giant trees How and cute. um like a uh, the cool thing that we discovered today was like a sundial that works with your body. So, and it was like really neat, that's like really cool, really really cool, very cool. Yeah. And then we did a, a hike. Um, and they have like cute little signs up for kids. Sometimes it's a story hike. Today it was like a, kind of a scavenger hunty sort of. But oh, that's fun. Thing and the baby still doesn't like the sun, but same like, girl. She needs these experiences. Yeah, true. She
1: needs some vitamin D. We all hate it, but we all need it.
0: I know I know I know and then my poor little four-year-old was like I was just thinking today like she's such a sweet little spirit Mm -hmm. and she keeps like staring at other kids and like asking me and my husband to like make friends with them to then like make the intro for her and I don't know how to explain to her that like we can't (laughs) we can't cope befriending random
1: children it's creepy about
0: adults that do that yes exactly exactly and um but she's like she gets so sad so she like drags me up on the playscape and she's like how about that one mommy can you go ask her her name and i'm like her mommy has probably had a talk with her about why you don't tell strangers what your name is i bet if she did it And I keep trying to just, like, give her a little nudge, like, I'll be right next to you, I'll be right by you, and it just, uh, she's just, it's a, I don't know if it's a phase, or if it's pandemic baby, or if it's just kind of how her personality's gonna be, I don't know, Mm. but.
1: Uh, yeah, no, what have we done today? Nothing, like, significant, my butt hurts from doing too much yoga, um, to burn off all of my wedding anxiety so yeah we've been doing a lot of wedding planning
0: yes you have yes you have i've been getting a lot of texts about wedding planning and i'm living for it, I'm so for it.
1: <laughs> oh my god so my lovely lovely partner i don't even know where this came from he got a text from one of his other friends but he's just like sitting there on the sofa while i'm like we batch cook like our lunches for the week so i was like batch cooking and uh he's like sitting on the sofa like reading a message from one of his friends and he's like i fucking hate wedding culture and i'm like oh
0: oh oh. boy has entered the chat (laughs) finally (laughs) finally we've been telling him this whole time (laughs) that it's the worst it's
1: terrible but yeah no, because and then i had to explain to him the difference between like There's the proposal and then the engagement party and then there's like the wedding shower and the bachelorette party and then there's the rehearsal dinner and then the wedding. And he's like, why are there so many things? And I was like, I have no idea, but there's a reason why we're not doing literally any of them.
0: You don't need to do any of
1: that. It's insane. Nobody, listen, listeners out there,
0: don't let wedding culture pressure you. No, if you want to, and if that's your vibe, then do it. Do it. Do, do it. The fuck do it all the way up. up. Yes. But if it's not your
1: vibe, it's not my vibe. I'm going to hide in the kitchen my entire wedding.
0: Yes, you are. I'm actually making tacos this week that are inspired by your wedding tacos because I want to see. <laughs> oh, which ones are you making? I'm going to make the tinga. Mm, it's very good. Yeah. It looks pretty straightforward in the slow cooker, so I'm going to give it a shot. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty tasty. I dig it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Anyway. Anyway. How do we
1: segue this? Wedding. I'm very excited about my wedding music. Music. Playlist. Spotify. I'm not allowed to play this song on Spotify anymore. Tommy, what is your favorite Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song?
0: Uh, wait, let me Google them so I know <laughs> what I'm... I, I want to make sure I've got the right thing in mind.
1: Love Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Love them. I love Neil Young.
0: I did not know that about you.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, no. They're fucking great. Love. Yeah. I mean,
0: who doesn't love Neil Young, really?
1: I hope he's not mad at us for putting this on Spotify.
0: <laughs> Sorry, David Crosby. That's true. That's true. Anyway, did you Google to <laughs> figure out what I'm talking about? I'm trying. Okay i don't know you should i uh, clearly i ruined your <laughs> segue in <laughs> you ruined my segway i'm so sorry i'm so sorry here's the thing okay like you threw me off with the and young era
1: well do you have a favorite neil young
0: song do i have a favorite neil young song uh neil young songs <laughs>
1: Okay, that's not the song we're going to talk about.
0: (laughs) Oh,
1: are we going to talk about Ohio? We're going to talk about Ohio. Okay.
0: I uh, would like to apologize to any of our listeners who are either Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young fans or boomers (laughs) for my ignorance. I am very sorry.
1: I heard this song so many times growing up. So many times. Did you? Yes. Um, Yes. Anyway. So we're going to talk about the inspiration behind that song.
0: I really ruined that. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be really fun to edit. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Godspeed to you. We're
1: going to talk about the inspiration behind that song because it's not a very subtle song. And recorded in two takes. There you go. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Anyway, so... That song was inspired by the case that we're going to talk about today, the Kent State Massacre. This is a little bit of a different type of case for us. This is not a serial killer. This is not a traditional kind of murder case. But I just want you guys to go on the ride with us because I'm super psyched to talk about this case.
0: You know what's interesting is, like, you say this is not a typical case for us, but as far as the cases that you bring to the table, Mm -hmm. it's not atypical it's
1: totally part of our repertoire. Just own it. It is part of our repertoire. We are like the nerdiest podcast. Like the nerdiest. We're like, up there. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and we're like the nerdiest. 100%. So we're going to talk about the Kent State Massacre. This is a big kind of moment in American history. It's also a pretty controversial moment in American history. Um yes. So... There is literally absolutely no way for us to talk about everything about this case. It is a body of scholarly research. Mm -hmm. Like, there is a library of, like, sociology and politics and history that is solely dedicated to this case.
0: Yeah, and I think there are also going to be a lot of people who um, would not see this as something that falls into the realm of a case. Correct. Either. Correct. Um, because of the involved parties. Because of the involved parties. So I'm very interested in that conversation as well.
1: Yeah, and I'm very excited to have you here with me. I'm always excited to have you here with me, but especially because you bring (laughs) a wonderful wealth of knowledge about American history.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll do my best. We're going to do our best. We're also going to do
1: our best to be, I think, as balanced as this case can allow you to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... If you read articles, a lot of them are going to be very kind of one side or the other. Um, And I also don't, I don't want to be totally biased, but I also don't want to, I don't think it's fair to say there were good people on both sides in this case. Cool. Yeah. But I want to talk about the most factual and accurate account that we can, given our biases. And if you've been here for this show, then you know our biases.
0: True that. Yeah. And you're still here, so thank
1: you. And you're still here, or this is your first time coming, and uh,
0: yeah, welcome to Midaretti. In which case, welcome to all of our biases. To all of our biases. <laughs> what up, friend?
1: Here's the thing my bias is toward facts, and we're going to talk about all of the facts of this case. Skidoosh, as my husband. Skidoosh. Would say. 23 Skidoo. I don't know. Is that the same? Is that <laughs> like an equivalent saying? I, know. I don't know.
0: I, I don't believe so. Right. Whenever he says Skidoosh, it sounds dirty to me.
1: Okay. Anyway, so let's dive right the fuck in. All right. We love scene setting here at Midwretched, right? Love it. But it is especially important in this case. Yes. Our case today takes us to the prime Vietnam War era in the U.S. And prime anti-war protest era. So we're going to do a little mini history lesson. And I'm going to pat myself on the back because i apologize mr wolf and mr craft and everybody else in the high school history department uh i just did not learn this well in high school so i had to reteach everything to myself so also this should be in its its entire own class like the vietnam war era should just be its entire
0: class.
1: oh yeah totally so um Feel free to pop in at literally any time, because like I said, you have a degree in this. I will. Um, so jumping back to do a little bit of a history of the Vietnam War. The U.S. Has, was involved in conflict in Vietnam beginning in the 60s, actually beginning back to 1955, is kind of the earliest days. Um, in 1959 was when the first U.S. soldiers were, were killed on Vietnam soil. Congress and official government websites that I was reading date our official entrance, official entrance um, into the Vietnam War as 1965 um, when President Lyndon Johnson declared Operation Rolling Thunder and entered the first official combat troops into Vietnam. Um, and like we do, as a country, we like to be involved and say we're not involved. Um. All at the same time. <laughs> the truth. Yes. We like to play both sides. Um, yes. And I don't know. Would you like to kind of give us just a glimpse as to why we got involved in Vietnam?
0: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> I, is it? I don't even know if it's possible to Do a just give a glimpse into that um, without chatting out like all of my. Biases, basically. I mean, so I'm pour my backup beer while you do this. So the war in Vietnam uh, was originally um, essentially a, a civil war in many ways, um, and U.S. involvement existed from pretty much the entire range of the conflict between the the two halves of Vietnam, essentially. And other astounding areas like Cambodia. But what would officially bring the U.S. in officially, officially, officially was um, the Gulf of Tonkin accident, wherein there was a, a U.S. destroyer craft or whatever that was hit by um, a Vietnamese craft. And that like officially kind of gave us, in, in, in a very American fashion, like gave us kind of an excuse to enter. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in. In most historians' perspective, especially from the perspective of the history department at our very progressive university, <laughs> <laughs> where I earned my history degree. <laughs> um, again, shout out to Dr. Sumner. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Still, time has been kind to him. <laughs> but, yeah, again, like, it's it's all about, like, the U.S. finding an excuse to enter a conflict, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, For one reason or another. So there was involvement in Vietnam under JFK. There was more involvement in Vietnam under Johnson when conflict was officially declared. But certainly things escalated under JFK um, that moved us into that theater prior to Johnson making that official declaration. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. So we weren't exactly welcomed into the conflict, to be honest. Um, nobody invited us in. Nobody said, hey, we really need you over here. We kind of just jumped in. Um, and the war lasted... Our involvement... It's fuzzy. It's fuzzy. It's fuzzy. The kind of... The rough years that I found online, according to Britannica.com, were 1959 to 1973. And in that time, 58,220 American soldiers lost their lives... And most of them were young people who were drafted without consent. It was an involuntary draft. And most of them were between the ages of 18 and 21.
0: Babies. Yeah. Babies. Like,
1: babies, think about babies, what you were babies, doing babies. at 18. And I don't know. This is also kind of... Obviously, the way that wars are fought now is very different. But also, I grew up around a military base and saw a lot mm. of people I went to high school with to go to Iraq and Afghanistan Um, straight out of high school so seeing their little baby faces
0: oh that's really interesting yeah i think what is interesting to me like from a historical perspective and from like an american culture perspective is just that um vietnam in many ways like kind of marks the beginning ish um the korean war too maybe even to almost more of a degree but that that specific, like, time in history, like, that mid-century, the way that war was in mid-century America between Korea and Vietnam, um, I think kind of ushered us into this era that we're still in now uh, and I think that we'll remain in forever where we're involved in these international conflicts that are um, extremely, extremely murky, yes. right? So, like, when you dive into World War I and II, uh, there is murk mm-hmm. there, when you really, really dive in, but at, at, you know, kind of the the passing level that everyone's aware of, there were good reasons for the U.S. to enter yeah. Yeah. You know, those conflicts. Um, and if you were to ask an eighth grader to tell you why was the U.S. involved in World War II, they would be able to tell you in a very kind of clear-cut way, right? Um, I think if you asked most even, like, experienced scholars why... <laughs> i mean as you just said like why are we involved why were we involved in vietnam why were we involved in korea why are we involved in the middle east for the last 80 billion years Mm -hmm. like you don't get that clear-cut response and i think these um the indo-chinese wars are that turning point yes
1: because it really didn't feel like to the average american like we had a stake in that war Mm -hmm. you know Right. When we look back at it historically, we can say, ah, okay, it's, you know, here's what we were trying to do and you know, pushing capitalism and whatever it might be. It didn't feel like to the average person at the time that we had a stake in that war. Um, right. But the right. government line was, we we're trying to stop the spread of communism. We're trying to protect the people of Vietnam. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's a
1: hell of a lot of history there. Yeah. Um, there is. There's a there lot is. better podcasts on than ours.
0: I will also just say that it's, it's one of these interesting ones where um, at the end of the day, it's impossible to declare a winner.
1: I learned that it was a tie.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I was taught it was like a stalemate. Well, it was a tie. Like,
1: we had, uh, so in my American history classes in high school, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, uh, we had a scoreboard of America versus the world. and the wars that we won versus the ones that everybody else won
0: wow okay
1: and this one was a tie and that is actually probably one of the more progressive
0: (laughs) takes interesting that's really interesting Mm -hmm. okay and you'd never be able to you would never hear somebody especially i think like when either of us grew up because we were certainly taught by people of the age group Mm um coming back from vietnam right yeah um, but you know if, if the party line was that u.s involvement was all about stopping the spread of communism it did not work no right no. because in 1975 three of those states became communist states exactly so exactly
1: yeah and i also have to remember like like i said i grew up in very close to a military base many of my teachers my friend's parents were vietnam veterans yeah so yeah Um, but here are the facts that I think that you need to know to at least get a feel for the vibe of where we're going to plop ourselves down in. You know, the big, the biggies.
0: Um, Sorry if I was a little jumbly. I should have just given you the biggies, but. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're going to do the, we're going to do the biggies. (laughs)
0: Okay.
1: Welcome to Midwretched. We're inarticulate and nerdy. Um.
0: (laughs) Hey, speak for yourself. I'm sometimes articulate. Guys, she has a new baby. (laughs) I
1: do. I do. And she's sick and I'm exhausted. All right. So the U.S. was involved slash not involved in Vietnam up until 1964 when, as Tommy mentioned, um, the Gulf of Tonkin incident officially kind of set the course for war were declared. Um, Lyndon Johnson signed the Gulf of Tonkin resolution, which gave him the authority to drastically increase military presence in Vietnam. Um and ordered the deployment of combat troops over there. Um Vietnam was a war of nasty, nasty tactics. Like gases, uh torture, not not okay.
0: Um <laughs> and Yeah. Go ahead. Um, it was also I, I do get really because I had a really great class about this in college. <laughs> um Also, one of, well, being kind of, like, the first, like, quote, unquote, modern war in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways, um, this was also an advent for, like, um, in the moment, like, journalism. Yes. Yes. Essentially, to be taking place, like, um, so what, the images that people were, had access to uh, and have access to are um, extremely sobering. um, Yeah. About that. You know about those tactics and and just the yeah like the normalization of of torture mm-hmm. of like violent rape yeah. um those types of things like um we had this kind of like photorealistic journalistic moment mm-hmm. at that time that is why we have like so much understanding of how ugly yeah. in many ways vietnam was yeah,
1: and there are some really just jarring photos that came out of the Vietnam War and the events leading up to it that, you know, if you're interested, go check them out. You can, you know, probably do a quick Google search. They're jarring, they're meaningful, they're kind of life-altering, and especially if you were growing up being surrounded by those. Um, so the U.S. was sending droves of troops, like I said, as young as 18 and 19. There were some people that who were, you know they went to basic training at 16 and 17, and then they were deployed at 18 on their birthday. Um, That was not uncommon. Um, And honestly, many of these young men had no understanding of the war that they were fighting, the reasons behind it, the people that they were facing. They had no idea what the culture was, the terrain was, the tactics being used were. Um, And for some of the people that were against the war, it just really felt like this just kind of felt like a power grab like why are we doing this what are we what are we dying for um
0: what's our skin in this game yeah
1: what's our skin in this game and as the years and as the war dragged on we started to see some of the biggest anti-war protests that the U.S. had ever seen before um like we had mentioned previous wars we felt like we really had an intention to be there you know even if we didn't want to be there there was an intention and we felt like we were fighting for something korea was a little bit different and korea was when we started to kind of have this anti-war sentiment but vietnam was when it really really exploded um as our years in the wars dragged on the protests only increased um so in his election bid in 1968 enter president nixon in his campaign, he promised in 1968, so we had been in the war for a few years already, he promised to wind down the war, pull out the troops, and move the country forward. So, how do you think that that went? <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell us how it went, my friend. Well, like all election promises, especially those given by Nixon, this was a lie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As Nixon's presidency dragged on, um, Nixon himself became increasingly avoidant of pulling the U.S. out of Vietnam um, because things were not going well. And basically Nixon, without saying it bluntly, said, I won't be the first U.S. president to lose a war. Like that was his reasoning for staying in this war. Mm. That is the backdrop that we are in. Do you get the feeling? Do you get the vibes? We have got a lot of young people terrified for their lives for going to war, angry because they don't understand it,
0: and with a president that is not a great leader. Yeah, and then I mean, I think also like the heart of a lot of the anti-war sentiment in the U.S. at the time was also... You know, due in large part to the fact that, like, again, like, Vietnam became, mm-hmm. I w- arguably, the first time that people really had um, a, a glimpse straight into how civilian lives in Vietnam mm-hmm. were being impacted by the conflict. This is not, like, a land war where it's, like, Army 1 charges towards Army 2, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's, like, a shootout. This is not Game of Thrones. Like, this is this was you know the gassing you know napalm was you know obviously like a,
1: we were attacking civilian villages a major we were children Yeah.
0: Um, villages like normal everyday people were being violently killed violently raped violently pillaged
1: and the pictures were coming back directly and people were seeing this um,
0: yeah so it, it was also i think in large part like an existential crisis brought on by a major major humanitarian crisis yes
1: so there's a lot there's a lot going on it's a cultural crisis it's an existential crisis it's a political crisis yeah um so now we enter into little old kent ohio in
0: 1970
1: kent is an interesting town um, it's about an hour south of Cleveland. So I always kind of divide Ohio up into quadrants. And it is kind of like the north eastern quadrant. It's a college town. So it's very much a college town. But also at the time, it was a very blue collar town. Like still very much part of the Rust Belt. Um, so there was kind of this very classic like college kids versus townies mentality going on in the town already so if we think about the kind of culture that we've already set up with our background of these college kids these anti-war protesters who were those were the 18 and 19 and 20 year olds that were facing um the draft and then the families and you know these kind of workers that It affected them very much because it affected their children possibly going to war, but it's also a very conservative area of the world, of of the region. So um, we have a couple of notable alum that we're going to talk about of Kent State alumni that we're going to talk about today, Um, and I mentioned them because they did a lot of interviews Um, And they have managed to kind of use some of their fame to really donate and bring money and bring awareness, kind of not letting this story die. Um, Also, Kent State had a big art school. And so I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that we see kind of how an art school plus this historical event drove their art. Yeah, totally. Um, One of those people. um, So again, this is a nerdy podcast, so you might not even know who these people are. One of those people <laughs> is Jerry Cassell, founding member of Devo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. So three of the founding members of Devo were at Kent State at this time. Ah. Um, so in one of the interviews that I read with him, he described um, kind of the campus city relationship as this. Quote, there were the townies who... They're, the townies believed in all these crazy conspiracy theories, like we were going to spike their water supply with LSD and they hated us. And frankly, not a lot of the activist students students did anything to dissuade them. They hated them right back. So full on tension um, where we saw the workers and the quote unquote townies, the people, the citizens of this town were very supportive of the war. Um, many saw it as patriotic. It was proper to support your country and spread of freedom. Um and again it's a Rust Belt City. Wow, so much
0: has changed in the US. <laughs> so <Some Right? might. laughs>
1: and then you've got college students and young people that are anti war and, you know, pro civil rights and not wanting to That's be drafted. Good. Um, and honestly, tired of seeing their friends die for something that they didn't believe in. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: Kate, and Kent State University actually especially had a pretty sizable student protest movement. Um, and obviously, when I say that, not all of the students on campus were part of these protest movement. Um, but they had a good art school. They had a journalism school. And a lot of the college students at that time were very attracted just in general um, to advocacy protests and community organizations like the Students for a Democratic Society, the Youth International Party, um, and the Black Student Association. There had already been several protests and confrontations, um, several demonstrations where there were kind of back and forth between um, these organizations, the towny, the citizens of the town, the university administration, and even the police. Um, the organizations, especially at this time, they were getting loud, they were getting demanding, they were getting radical, and they refused to be ignored. Mm. Yay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We support that. We're with it. it. Yeah.
1: I'm, uh, wearing my non-compliance as a social skill shirt today.
0: <gasps> <gasps> oh, I want that shirt so bad. You know I want it so bad.
1: RealSocialSkills.org. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because so. Because some of us were brainwashed into thinking that it's appropriate to put our needs aside to make other people comfortable, and we they called that social skills. You know, social
0: skills. That's like I just want my babies to live like that. This
1: is like the things that I'm trying to like un decondition from myself. Yeah.
0: And that's hard. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah.
1: Um, they have another one that I saw. I don't know if it's up there, but it's like it says like social skills and it says like love, advocacy, um, dissent love and like that. all of this other stuff around it. It's very cool. I love that. Anyway, <laughs> like I said, not all of the Kent State students were obviously part of these organizations. And even those in within the organizations have different levels of radicalness and different levels of things that they were willing to do. And, you know. People are individuals and have their own boundaries and limits and beliefs. So, um, by this time in the war, so this is 1970, most Americans didn't really support the war in Vietnam, but they also really didn't support the student protest movement. Uh. So, they would say... Yes, we need to end the war in Vietnam. Yes, we support that. But these students are just not doing it right. There was a lot of finger wag- wagging at protesters. Yeah. Oh, look yeah. at other things that have changed in the country.
0: <laughs> well, and you know, what's interesting about that, too, is like people are so, I mean, there's, you can be scared of and against something that's going on in like an abstract, mm-hmm. what to you is like an abstract place on the other side of the world, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, like, the fear of what's going on in your own backyard. Exactly. Exactly. You know? And, like, what's what's bigger, you know?
1: hmm
0: What ends up bigger?
1: Exactly. I could think of other examples, but we've already had so many tangents. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to not go on another tangent. And essentially yeah. just say the country was very divided at this time. Like, talk about culture wars. This is really kind of a tipping point for culture wars. Yeah. So... Let's open our scene on May 1st, 1970, in Kent, Ohio. That day, President Nixon had got up. Remember, he had promised that he was going to end the war in Vietnam during his, you know, election bid. Mm-hmm. He got up on May 1st and gave a national a-, a national address declaring that he would be expanding the Vietnam War into Cambodia and sending over another 20,000 soldiers.
0: And what happened in Cambodia
1: was incredibly ugly. Incredibly ugly. For the record, we had been in Cambodia doing ugly shit. Yes. For years before Nixon announced that we are now officially in Cambodia. Um. Yeah, it was nasty. Yeah. Um. Behind the Bastards just did like a six part series on Henry Kissinger. Um, where they go pretty in-depth into Kissinger and Nixon's relationship um, and how that kind of impacted what was going on at this time. So if you're interested in learning more, um, that series goes pretty heavily into Nixon and Kissinger. So, Interesting. Anyway when he announced this because obviously it's going it's 180 degrees from what he said he was going to do and what he promised the american people what he was going to do there was immediate uproar against this decision especially obviously by young people because it meant yet another expansion of the draft um so the involuntary military draft by this time so Originally, especially in, like, World War II is when we think about, is the other time that we think about involuntary military draft. If you were in college or if you had a family or, you know, there were certain exceptions that you wouldn't have to be drafted. Um, those were erased for Vietnam hmm. because we needed so many people to send over and kill. Um, yes. So it really was a lot of high school and college students that, um, Facing death overseas, yeah. Um. So that any eligible male that passed a medical exam could be drafted. So students weren't only angry; they were panicked. Yeah. Um. So that night, um, Friday, May first, approximately five hundred Kent State student organization or five hundred Kent State students organized at the university commons at this demonstration a copy of the u.s constitution was buried to represent that nixon had destroyed and killed the u.s constitution at some point and still to this day we don't know who did this someone put up a sign on a tree near the campus rotc building reading why is the rotc building still standing Oh, interesting. So the ROTC building was kind of like, it was almost like a log cabin. We'll put up pictures Mm -hmm. on the social media, but it was like a log cabin that housed like the ROTC, which like, it's like a campus military, like universities, campus military training. I never totally understood what they did. Um, High schools too. High schools too. That's like the junior ROTC where you like, you wear a uniform Mm -hmm. and pretend you're in the military. Um, Mm -hmm. anyway, um, (laughs) Obviously,
0: we were very cool in high school.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, we just had like legit recruiters doing push-up contests in the lunchroom. Like we didn't have time for fucking (laughs) J-R-O-T-C.
0: That's true. That's true. We had the same at the high school that I taught at most recently.
1: It was pretty fucked up and it would get like, it was like love bombing.
0: Yeah, I have a lot to say about the presence of military recruiters and specifically underserved high schools yeah. um, that I'll save for another day. Yeah,
1: I can't I can't say that our high school was at all underserved. Um, now y'all are
0: overserved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um.
1: Anyway, there was a lot of love bombing by those uh, what I'm going to call love bombing by those recruiters. Anyway. The crowd at the University Commons dispersed around 1 p.m. because students had to go to classes. Sure. Again, we're still a college campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but the energy remained and the student organizations kind of, they were still talking, still chatting. They said, OK, we're going to have another rally on Monday, May 1st, when all the students get back from the weekend. Um, So the students who did remain on campus over the weekend, as the night fell, um, they kind of trickled into town. They trickled to the bars, restaurants, streets, all of that stuff. Um, And as things will do with college students kind of going to and from bars and, you know, anybody, any group of people going to and from bars, um, they started getting a little worked up. They started getting a little agitated. They were ta- started talking louder, egging each other on. They eventually started getting kind of aggressive. Um, some of the students threw beer bottles at police cars, broke storefront windows. I saw that fist. Sorry, me. <laughs> um, one student broke a bank window and set off the alarm at the bank. Um, as all of this kind of ruckus started happening... Um, the bar started closing early and kicking people out. Um, which only led to bigger crowds of rowdy, tipsy, and drunk people. Both mm-hmm. campus students and Kent citizens. And, you know, started, everybody started joining in the vandalism. Yeah. By the time the police arrived there, around 120 people gathered in the street, um, that had lit a small bonfire, Um, the group was a mix of bikers, students, and transients. Um, the entire Kent police force was called out, as well as officers from the surrounding communities.
0: We, um, I just want to, like, really quickly just think about, like, the size of, Mm -hmm. like, where that would be. Um, like, Kent is a really small, like, it's a college town, but it's a small town. Yeah. Um, so I just, like, all college towns in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, like population 28,000, the total area of the town, the land area is 9.22 square miles. So when we're talking about people like gathered up in like a square Mm -hmm. or something like that. In like a town square, like like
1: a a strip of a couple of restaurants and bars.
0: Yeah, it's a very, it's a tight, like it's a geographically tight area that we're talking
1: about. Like 120 people gathered in Chicago is kind of nothing, but 120 people gathered in Really, the downtown area was like a strip, mm-hmm.
0: um, and it looks like it still is pretty much the same size as it was in those days. Yeah,
1: I think. Yeah, it looks like Kent is twenty eight thousand people right now. It was probably smaller in nineteen seventy. Mm-hmm. Probably significantly smaller. Um. So. The Kent Police Force comes out. They call in officers from the surrounding communities to do crowd control. The crowds eventually dispersed. Most students went back to campus only after police started using tear gas on the crowds. So tear gas is going to happen multiple times over the next few days. It becomes Kent Police Force's go-to crowd dispersal. Um. Kent Mayor um, Le- LeRoy, it looks like LeRoy, but in my head. It's not I want- LeRoy? No, it's.
0: Oh, I see how it's spelled. Yeah.
1: LeRoy Santrum declared a state of emergency after this event in downtown Kent and called in reinforcements um, from Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes, who eventually ordered all bars to be closed for the entire weekend and instituted a townwide curfew from sun up or from sun. Yes. From sundown to sun up. I forgot how time worked there for a second. (laughs) (laughs) The sun.
0: How does the sun work? Where does the sun rise? You sound like my four-year-old. Why is the sun, mommy?
1: I mean, I ask questions Mm. like that all the time. I know. Mm. So students go home and they're going to wake up on Saturday, May 2nd. Um, when the flames of protest start to get real, real hot. That day, Mayor Santrum met with officials and the call was made to bring in the National Guard into Kent. The fear reported by Mayor Santrum was that local officials could not control the students. So, National Guard is going to come in. They're not in just yet.
0: Was there involvement from, like, the campus police? You know what?
1: I did not ever see any mention of campus police.
0: I can't imagine they had a lot. I mean, it's not a huge university. And
1: I really don't think that in the 70s, campus police were a big thing like they were now.
0: True. Yeah, that's a good
1: point. No, Like, a 1970s high school did not have a bunch of fucking police officers walking around with guns. But they do now. True. Anyway. So students once again gather at the university and they start to gather around the ROTC building attempting to damage it. And this is, once again, one of the mysteries around Kent State. Somebody sent the Somebody set the ROTC building on fire. Mm. Nobody knows who did this. And because it was kind of like that wooden log cabin vibe.
0: Oh my gosh, what, it, ju- it just went up.
1: It just went up. It just fucking went up. And when fire trucks arrived to try to put the the fire out, students attacked and blocked the fire trucks. They wanted to watch it burn. Mm -hmm. And once again, I'm going to grab a quote from Jerry Casale from Devo.
0: (laughs) For those that don't know, we're talking about like, You must whip it. You must whip it. They had a lot of other really cool songs. They did, but that's a song that people are going to That's a song doubt. that everybody knows. And they're
1: in Futurama a lot. Uh, that's true, they are. I'm a nerd, and they, they are the nerd. They are the geeks band, guys. They are. They really are, yeah. It's a beautiful world. Anyway.
0: They're the aging nerds band. <laughs> we should Hi, speak. thanks.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. All
0: right.
1: <laughs> Once again, I'm going to quote from Jerry Casale. Um, he says, quote, It's almost impossible in a Democratic situation to control those people or separate them out. That is how the ROTC building got torched. I don't believe that it was the members of the SDS, the Students for a Democratic Society, that did it. It would almost make you believe that there were undercover operatives that started the fire to discredit SDS and make them look dangerous and give people what they wanted, an excuse to go after other students. I steered clear of it. I knew it was a bad scene, an offensive scene. When the fire started, I kept thinking, this is ugly, I'm leaving, this is bad. I got out of there and I went home. So, I think this is one of those events. Um, One of the other people that we will meet um, is Chrissy Hind from The Pretender. Yes, I was waiting for that! (laughs) (laughs) So context being what it was Chrissy Hind was 18 and uh, Jerry and the guys from Diva were 21 22 um mm. Chrissy Hind's reports of this especially the first two days where like everybody was great we were partying it was just a good time and then mm. it wasn't and the the older reporters um and people there kind of saw this building and again kind of. Maturity, politics, experience, all of that is going to go into how you report what happened these days. Mm -hmm. Once again, as the ROTC building was burning to the ground, um, tear gas filled the campus to clear the protesters. On Sunday, May 3rd, at the cleanup site of the ROTC building, a thousand National Guardsmen arrived on the campus fully armed students described that it felt like a war zone Ohio Governor Jim Rhodes gave a provocative speech that day he said quote, these people just move from one campus to the other and terrorize the community they're worse than the brown shirts and the communist element and also the night riders and vigilantes they're the worst type of people that we harbor in America and now I want to say this they are not going to take over the campus he then went on to say we will eradicate the problem So what he's trying to say here is, I know you think it's the students that are just protesting. These aren't student protesters. These are terrorists. And we will eradicate them.
0: My favorite thing is when people forget that one of the foundational principles in America is the freedom to assemble.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that somehow assembly makes you un-American is now a thing. Yeah. and I just, like, I love that. I just think it's really awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of great. I think how, like, generation after generation, like, we never learn that lesson. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. It's, like, one of my favorite things about – it just makes me feel very patriotic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it makes me want to do patriotic things like um, compliance and, you know <laughs> – and falling in line and not questioning anything and
0: yes all the things that we're like really good at all the things
1: that are like founding principles of our nation because our nation was definitely not founded on a protest um right. on a very damaging right, no. and um a volatile protest
0: yeah um, no that was not real fake, news fake, fake news, news
1: fake news um anyway a lot of people accru- accused rhodes of just trying to fan the flames -hmm. Casale actually, in his interview, compared this speech to those given by Trump during the Black Lives Matter protests.
0: It is extremely baiting language.
1: Such baiting language, like the, Mm -hmm. you know, he's comparing the student protests to the communists, to you know, vigilantes, and the worst people that he can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the rest of that day was actually relatively calm. Um, kind of students were. It feels like they were really, <laughs> for lack of a better word, they were trying to do a vibe check. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: what is actually what happening is here? happening?
1: And again, you have mm-hmm. armed National Guard on your campus now. Yeah. But in the evening shortly after curfew, remember, there was still the sundown to sunup curfew, um, students marched to the corner of the campus and sat on the pavement in the intersection, like literally just sat on the ground search helicopters and National Guardsmen started to surround the students Um, I am not sure what happened or what sparked this it could have been nothing it could have just been yelling it could have been threats literally that entire spectrum of things Mm -hmm. but from that night six students would be arrested for violating curfew and carrying weapons but the crowd of students that were sitting at the corner at the intersection would eventually all return home Mm -hmm. So now we're going to start on May 4th.
0: That's the Monday. This
1: is Monday. So remember that this is the day that the original student protesters on the 1st had said, we're going to have a rally on this day. That's right. Like, this is going to be our big, big rally. Additional, so another wave of National Guard troops on top of the 1,000 that had been there before arrived on campus. That is
0: so many people. so many people
1: and the kent state campus isn't huge guys uh-uh. <laughs> it's bigger than our campus was but um so once again another enduring mystery of the kent state massacre at some point somebody in a position of power made the decision to officially ban all rallies and protests that day on campus uh-huh including the one that had already been planned. There's a lot of conflicting evidence about who exactly made this order. Now, there would eventually be um, a federal civil trial in 1975 in which General Robert Canterbury, who was the highest official of the National Guard involved in the incident, testified that there was, quote, widespread consensus that rallies would be prohibited because of the tensions and the possibility for violence. By students, right? He testified that Kent State President Robert Wiley, so Kent State President, explicitly told him Canterbury that any demonstration would be highly dangerous. So that was when Canterbury and his men interpreted interpreted this as an official order to ban protests, uh-huh. which gave them the freedom to intervene if there were any protests. Got it. However. Kent State University President White testified himself that he did not recall having that conversation with Canterbury.
0: Interesting.
1: Now, the Kent State Historical Archives, which, guys, oh, chef's kiss. Really, really the best resource for studying this. Kent State has done such a wonderful job of keeping the story alive and keeping the facts facts. So the Kent State Historical Archives say that this decision can most accurately be traced to actually Governor Rhodes on May 3rd, who said said that he would seek a state of emergency declaration from the courts, and a state of emergency declaration would have made it illegal.
0: Mm.
1: But Rhodes never actually did that.
0: Interesting.
1: He never actually saw the state of emergency, which means that it was never actually officially illegal.
0: Wait. Interesting. Okay. So, was it ever officially legally? It was never
1: actually officially to be a state
0: of emergency? Correct. Interesting. Okay. Correct.
1: Again, you have to go deep into the archives to actually find all of this, like, correct information because, as we're going to talk about, everybody has a reason for telling their story the way that they told it.
0: Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so through this series of miscommunications, and honestly, it sounds to me like passing the fucking buck, um, by nobody making a clear decision or taking responsibility for the decision that they made, all officials, including the university, the city, and the National Guard, decided without declaration or official decision-making power that rallies were now illegal.
0: Right, right. You're just like,
1: oh, I'm just going to say it's illegal. Oh, well, I heard. Yeah. And so what that effectively did was also left the National Guard in charge of the campus. In addition to the Kent State University Archives, I'm really going to encourage everybody to watch um, the two documentaries, Our Place in History and The Day the Sixties Died. Mm. Two really, really wonderful documentaries. It is, to me, very meaningful to listen to the survivors talk about this day. Um, hearing their stories and I'm going to share some of their quotes but hearing their voices is really harrowing so I highly recommend you do that I had to pay for the day the 60s died by the
0: way did you it's a
1: PBS documentary and I had to pay two dollars for it wow
0: shady PBS PBS. anyway
1: um so Monday morning, May 4th, students went to class as per usual or as usual as you can when your campus is taken over by a National Guardsman. Mm -hmm. Campus officials were handing out flyers saying that the student protest was canceled. So again, campus officials, not the student organizations, not the students themselves. Um, During classes, many of the politically active students and those kind of just interested in the recent events, you know, like you do. Like, I wasn't Mm -hmm. super into this before, but now you're fucking with my life.
0: Yeah, stuff is happening. Um, I'm curious, yeah.
1: So they're sitting in class. They're chatting about the events of the weekend. They're sharing information. They're still planning on doing this protest. And for the most part, obviously, you can't account for everybody, but most of the students agreed, we want this to be peaceful. We want to make a point, but we want to be peaceful about it. Especially when you're facing armed gunmen, you want like presenting with a peaceful front makes a major point. Right. So I've seen estimates of as few as 500 and as many as 3,000 students gathered at noon at the University Commons, kind of like the grassy area with some big old trees, some cute streetlights, a typical gathering area. Where, like the Hill, sometimes you'd have lunch there. Sometimes you'd just yes. kind of sunbathe there.
0: Indeed, indeed. I miss the Hill. Yeah, oh,
1: The Hill. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this range comes from the fact that, um, and this is one thing that everybody does agree on, not everybody that happened to be at the Commons was a protester.
0: Right. I'm sure there were lots of people that were just like, this is a moment, and... I just kind of want to see it. And some of them were literally
1: just trying to go to class. Yeah. They were trying to go to class. They were trying to go home. They were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. So you had literally everything from radical activists, agitators, and just students. Survivors that were there recall it being a pretty festive time. There was a lot of chanting and obviously some anger, but more camaraderie than anything else a lot of chance of pigs off campus pigs off campus one prominent student activist whose name was Howie Emmer um, began speaking to the student through a megaphone as he was speaking to the students and giving kind of you know a little mini lecture like you do when you're at these wonderful protests um, that was when the National Guard came in mm-hmm. many of them came in marching on foot Some came driving in Jeeps and some even in large transport vehicles. They came in from multiple directions, basically enclosing the students in, leaving them few places to go. There was only one direction, like from the way that the National Guard was coming in, there was only one direction to move out of. And that direction of movement was up a hill leading toward a parking lot in an athletic field. Mm -hmm. So... They were in the commons. To get out of that area, you would have to go up the hill, down the hill, and into the parking lot and athletic field. Okay. So as the National Guard marched toward the student, there were guardsmen holding M1 rifles with bayonets. They paused at one point only to put on gas masks. And after they paused, they closed in on the students and began shooting tear gas into the crowd. Again, unprovoked. Some of the students, after they had been being gassed all weekend, they came prepared. They came with hankies and face coverings, and they grabbed those gas tear gas canisters and threw them right back at the National Guard. I would say it was a minority of students who did that. Some threw gas canisters, some threw rocks or whatever they had their hands on. Majority of them ran away.
0: Of course they did,
1: While some students tried to face down the ground, most of them ran up the hill and toward the parking lot area. According to survivor accounts, on the other side of the hill, they were met with more guards marching toward them.
0: Oh, wow. Like from the parking lot? That's terrifying.
1: According to one quote, um, one recount of the story, it said he recalled kind of being in that situation and kind of talking about what was going on in his head. And he said, I thought okay, this is where they march at you with their bayonets and their horizontal, and they scare the fuck out of you so that they're going to herd you across the parking lot and they're going to arrest us over there. He thought, okay, fine, they're just going to herd us into a corner, they're going to arrest us all, they're just doing this to scare us.
0: Yeah, there has to be some kind of, like, visual threat, mm-hmm. like, yeah.
1: But the guardsmen stopped Advancing. At one point, several guardsmen, not all of them, just kind of, like, small huddled groups, were seen kind of together, talking, huddling, as they were now amassed at the top of the hill. It was called Blanket Hill that looked down onto the parking lot.
0: Because there were a total of something like 10,000 guardsmen at... By this time, there were about
1: 10,000 guardsmen. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So there's no way it's, like, every single one of them is, like...
1: No, you know, no, no, yeah. and we'll go into that
0: conspiring at the same time. Yeah,
1: okay. Like you pointed out, there was about ten. By this time on campus, there were about ten thousand guardsmen. The guards were noted by kind of onlookers and survivors that they kind of had broken into a couple of small groups. Again, we don't have any clear evidence of this, but personal count accounts say that people saw someone in charge yell and make a clear hand signal. At that moment, a group of 77 guardsmen gathered at the top of the hill follow that hand signal, and 28 of those guardsmen begin to shoot bl- blindly into the crowd. Wow. And for the next 13 seconds, shots were delivered blindly into a crowd of students. And this is a quote from Chrissy Hind. She said, as she was kind of running away, she says, and then I heard the tat, tat, tat sound. And I thought it was fireworks. An eerie sound fell over the comment. A young man's voice. They fucking killed somebody. Again, this is where I really kind of encourage people to watch the documentaries. Because there is this like... There's 13 seconds of gunfire and then dead silence. Wow. When they were finally able to get themselves back together and kind of stand up they saw that multiple people had fallen to the ground and others continued attempts to flee there was absolute confusion and fear on the faces of every student in the crowd most thought that there was no way like again right again that that idea of like the one person said oh they're just trying to scare us Mm -hmm. Most people were like, there's no way they just shot people that that was rubber bullets. That was clearly just rubber bullets. They're just trying to scare us. Until they all actually took a moment to look around and see the bodies of students. Uh. 20 year old student Jeffrey Miller was shot in the mouth while standing in an access road leading to the parking lot. 19-year-old Allison Krause was killed while running into the parking lot. 20-year-old William Schroeder, who had just walked out of a nearby building, just popped his head out to see what was going on, was killed. My God. 20-year-old Sandra Schuer was shot, caught in the crossfire while walking between classes. Schroeder and Schuer had no involvement whatsoever in student protests. They were literally just in between classes.
0: That's unreal.
1: Krauss and Miller were active student protesters. And I have a quote from um, Allison Krauss's father about this later. Um, That's pretty powerful. Those were the four students that died that day. Nine more students were injured at the scene. Joseph Lewis was shot while standing with his middle finger up toward the National Guardsman. Thomas Grace was shot only 60 feet from the Guardsman. Dean Collar was shot in the small of his back, and he survived, but he was paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life. The other victim survivors were John Clearly, Alan Canfora, Douglas Rentmore, James Russell, Robert Stamps and Donald McKenzie. Ugh.
0: Yeah, I feel like there just needs to be a second to process yeah. that.
1: 13 students, four of them murdered.
0: Yeah. One of them injured in such a way that his life would be changed mm-hmm. forever.
1: In 13 seconds.
0: In 13 seconds. That's I'm I didn't know the detail. I did not know that detail. And I'm just kind of like what I keep thinking about is like how terrifying that 13 seconds would be if you had any awareness of what was going on. But it was so fast. How could you? And there
1: were a lot of accounts that um, in some of the interviews that I read that were like it was they're like, no, it wasn't 13 seconds. It was like five minutes they're like no it was way longer than that but like so because Kent State had such this booming kind of journalism school and art school Um, a lot of the photos and a lot of the evidence from that day were from student artists uh and we'll talk about one of the most famous photos that was taken by one of the one of the students there um yeah, like I know yeah, I'm sure you about. do. It's edited. Really? <laughs> they edit it out like a street post. Oh yeah. okay. <laughs> anyway. <sighs> anyway. But here's the thing. That's not where this event ended with that barrage of bullets. Um obviously the students were in chaos, they were terrified, they were confused. But after a minute, when they're able to kind of shake off their shock, they started to kind of get it back together. And that shock turned to anger, and the anger turned to solidarity. Mm. Students turned back and started to chant and hold their ground. Now, obviously, at this point, it's a much smaller crowd. Many of them them were terrified and left.
0: Oh, yeah, you would just flee and just run yeah
1: but some of them couldn't they they couldn't let themselves, so they held their ground and they started to just kind of chant back at the National Guard. They sat back down and they sat back down and they started chanting until Kent State University Geology Professor Glenn Frank grabs the bullhorn that he had found mm-hmm. in the crowd and. The records say that for 20 straight minutes, he was crying and screaming and begging students to leave. He was saying, there's only going to be more violence. You cannot do this. These men are not backing down and they will shoot and they will kill again. At that point, ambulances had started to arrive to take the bodies. There were so many bodies and not enough ambulances that they had to double up the ambulances with the bodies. Um, And finally, at that point, they started to listen to Professor Frank and they left the campus. The university closed immediately and everyone abandoned the campus. The university would remain closed from that moment for the rest of the semester. Good on professors. Again, we don't... We don't appreciate teachers enough, but professors frantically advocated to help their students finish their end-of-term work over postal mail and Mm off-campus meetings at coffee shops and in their houses and whatever they needed to do to help their students finish out the term and graduate. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the images that remain from this day are absolutely haunting. Um, I think probably the one that you're thinking of is a pretty famous photo of a 14 year old girl. Her name is Mary Vecchio kneeling over the body of Jeffrey Miller. If you google yeah. if you Google the Mary Vecchio photo, um, it will come up.
0: She was 14.
1: She was 14. So how Mary Vecchio arrived on campus that day is actually really, it's literally just random chance. She was a teenage runaway. Oh, wow. She was from Florida. She had taken a greyhound up and was only on campus that day because she happened to find people that were kind enough to let her stay with them in Kent. Wow. And, you know, she was 14 and she obviously had a lot of fucking chutzpah. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But she said in that moment she just felt absolutely powerless. Yeah. Are you looking at the photo?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm very familiar with it anyway, but um, yeah, I'm just kind of remembering the first time I saw it. Just, yeah, just the rawness of it and like the, it's a surprise when yeah. winning photo. Um, yeah. And there's such like, this weird sense of, like, obviously, like, time just kind of standing still. And she's looking utterly destroyed, mm-hmm. distraught, kneeling next to this body. And there's a man kind of just looking at her or a person kind of looking at her. Um, and other people are just some looking, some walking away. It looks almost like people are, like, milling about around her, which you know is not what actually mm-hmm. happened. But when you have a moment, just kind of like – When you
1: capture a moment in time. You know, stopped yeah. in time.
0: yeah. 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 But we should give credit to the the photographer himself, so John Philo is the one who took the photo.
1: Yeah, he was one of the students um, there studying photography. Yeah.
0: Mary Becia was the, the yeah.
1: subject. Yeah. John Philo is the photographer. He's in a lot of the documentaries as well. Um so you you'd hear a lot from him if you want to watch those. Um so the immediate aftermath of this this event, the murder of these four college students, oddly enough, was actually in support of the National Guard. Again, this goes back to the general sentiment of the country at the time, um, that they did not support student protesters. They said that they were bums. They said that they got what they deserved. In the documentary, Our Place in History, and I think the same woman Laura Davis is in um, The Day the Sixties Died, she was a survivor of the kent state massacre and she recalls going home to her parents um immediately after the the event and her dad was watching the news and as she's watching her father watch the news of this event and she hears him say they got what they deserved they should have shot more of them wow looks at him and she's like i was there should they have shot me and she says she simply never got an answer from her dad
0: she didn't. yeah i have so much to say
1: <laughs> I, I i have time at the end of this for us to have thoughts we're gonna reflect we're gonna take some time to reflect i'm
0: gonna have to go get my computer charger <laughs> uh,
1: i think we're almost at the end of my notes um so allison krauss one of the um one of the victims that did not survive her father released a statement in the aftermath of the uh, massacre quote. She resented being called a bum because she disagreed with someone's opinion. She felt that war in Cambodia was wrong. Is that a crime? Is this a reason for killing her? Have we come to such a state in this country that a young girl has to be shot because she disagrees so deeply with the actions of her government? Beautifully said. I really, really like that quote. I think, Damn, that's a timeless quote, right?
0: Yeah, it really is, and it it puts the nail right on the head. And it really does.
1: And I think it, it's interesting. I think when we look back now with hindsight, we see a different story. But at the time, people were really they wanted student protesters to be punished. It took time, and it could, took cultural shift for the tide to turn. Um, as people really learned about the event, the events of the day. You know, what was being told to people was, oh, the student protesters were agitators and they were the one attacking the National Guard and the National Guard um, only shot in self-defense. But students knew that this was wrong. Students knew, like, that's right. not... No, no, you're the National Guard.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no way that you can be scared. Yeah, you, you don't get to of... claim
1: scared here. Um,
0: no, what you can claim is toxic masculinity <laughs> mixing in with a volatile situation it's called patriotism and oh yeah that's right um you know you can call it like you can call it groupthink. you can call it like i don't know like i'm when you said that thing about like the somebody in in charge mm-hmm. um, making some sort of like hand gesture the first thing i thought was like was that person really yep. in charge or was it just a guy making a hand mm-hmm. gesture you're um, looking, even, one of the things I think is really interesting,
1: um, and one of the interviewees kind of mentions this, one of the survivors, and he talks about the guardsmen were the same age as us. They didn't they know what they were it. doing any more than we did.
0: Exactly. So, yeah. yeah the- that's what I was no, getting no. at, like. Go ahead. It's that, like, you're influenced by a hot bed situation, mm. um. No one's making reasoned decisions yeah. in that moment. But if nobody is making reasoned decisions, the people with more responsibility to make reasoned decisions are the ones carrying deadly weapons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, no, there's when you have a role like that, you take it upon yourself to comport yourself in a specific way. At you the know. end
1: of the day, the people in authority are the ones that are responsible. It's very much the same way of like when parents get mad at kids and blame kids for their own bad actions of like, oh, Mm -hmm. you made me say that or you made me do that. I'm like, no, you are the adult and you are the one in authority and the one responsible for comporting yourself.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: (sighs) So this launched a literal nationwide student protest, this biggest student protest ever at this time. There were university walkouts, um, protest, a national uprising of young people. And shortly after this, it was honestly, I want to say it was honestly only a few days. There was a similar event, a shooting of multiple black student activists at Jackson State University um, that just added to the flame of anger. There was slightly different politics going on at the Jackson State um, shootings, but an otherwise kind of similar setup. Yeah.
0: And obviously kind of a shared moment yeah, in American history. Yeah.
1: Um it even under it even managed to unsettle Nixon and Kissinger.
0: Mm.
1: Re- <laughs> the robots that are Nixon and Kissinger.
0: Yeah, the unsettled gentleman.
1: <laughs> There's a really interesting story about like the insomniac Nixon, famous insomniac. The day or so after this. He was trying to go to sleep and he couldn't get to sleep and he decided to get up in the middle of the night. There was a protest happening at one of the, mon- I think it was the Lincoln Monument. Um, and he woke up his chauffeur in the middle of the night and was asked and asked his chauffeur to drive him to the Lincoln Memorial in his like dazed, sleep-deprived stupor try to make these young protesters understand the hard decisions that he had to make as the president. (laughs) Like, it is, there are pictures from this event, too. And it's described as, like, not even surreal. Like, (laughs) surreal doesn't even fit what happened that night. It's in the middle of the night, Like, 2 a.m., and Nixon is just talking to all these fucking hippie protesters at the Lincoln Memorial.
0: (laughs) That is so weird. Oh, my god! Like, I really encourage anybody to go, like, look that up. Yes, that needs to be followed up on. That needs to be followed up on. And I think that
1: really, really slowly the culture began to turn on this. Between the student protests, the attacks on student protests, and the biggest... I think the biggest shift in the Vietnam War sentiment was Vietnam veterans returning from war and mm-hmm. joining the protests. Majorly yes. flipped the narrative.
0: Yes, 100%. Um,
1: so, not to make this a totally pop culture moment, um, because mm-hmm. it's not, it's a piece of history, but I I yeah. really do think that kind of like our our cultural memory depends on our images, our songs, and our people. Yeah. So... Like I mentioned at the very beginning, tried to mention. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry. The Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young song, Ohio, they were very, very big at this time. And so when they released that song almost immediately after the event, um, they managed to tell the story in a very empathetic way. And then the images started to come out and flood and seeing what actually happened that day and the fear on the students' faces The survivors, many of the survivors were devoted to communicating, making art, and researching what led to this event. Um, Like I said, a lot of kind of our cultural icons, the members of Devo, Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders, um, the singer-songwriter Joe Walsh, came out of this and kind of used it to form their art. Many, many, this is usually always less known, but many academic researchers graduated and Mm -hmm. dedicated so much space at Kent State University to not hiding and not whitewashing the history here their campus still holds artwork and sculptures with bullet holes in it to this day
0: wow good for them
1: like it's actually kind of eerie even I've never been to Kent State I've never been to the campus but there are sculptures that have bullet holes from the Kent State Massacre in them wow and they tell the good the bad the ugly they tell all sides of this event and I think kind of now that we've told the story i think that you can see that the listener can probably twist whoever they want to be to be the hero here sure yeah yeah absolutely
0: and that's you know obviously human nature it it, it doesn't yeah it's human nature and it it doesn't take a lot of um imagination to figure out where either (laughs) of us might stand on this um So I think part of, like, what is an interesting thought experiment then is to think about, like, what would somebody that sees it the opposite Mm -hmm. way, like, how do you arrive at that conclusion, right? Like, um, how is it? And I I have a hard time bending my brain that way because I keep thinking, like, you know, are, were we slash are we really in a position as a, a culture, a nation, a A civilization where disagreement with those in power is enough to not only get you killed, but to have your fellow citizens supporting the fact that you were killed by your government. Right. Like um, I'm having a really hard time, like bending my brain to figure out a way that that's justified.
1: And I think that having having read and having done the research on it, the justification
0: is that
1: these were you know they were fanning the flames and they attacked the national guard and these they weren't even students that really started this it was agitators and again this it was just last summer that we saw the black lives matter protests and so we've heard this narrative and I still don't buy yes, there are agitators, and yes, there are people who probably just want to cause chaos. There always will be. Um, but that's where, again, I put the onus on the people in power to stay in control of a situation.
0: Yeah, and I think even like using rhetoric, like, you know, they were agitators, um, stuff like that, like, how do you possibly bend that to justify that either? Like, I mean, wow, you agitated. You should be killed in broad daylight. In broad daylight by the government. Yeah. So, you know, like, sure, Um, can you in some way call being a quote unquote agitator like a quote unquote bad thing? Sure. Um, Does that justify killing people?
1: Because at At the end of the day, and I don't know how you can twist it any other way, but this was an inexcusable use of military force on American citizens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about the discrepancy between the number of people, even going with that, like, the top end of that estimate about people that were there, as far as, you know, students and protesters at Kent State, if we go with, like, the upper estimate of 3,000 people... Um, up against 10,000 National Guardsmen, Mm -hmm. like, that is not in any way, shape, or form two sets of people on equal footing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if I throw a rock at somebody with a gigantic gun that is meant to kill people, (laughs) they are still the person with significantly more physical power. Yeah. In that situation, well, and I think
1: that what is what is crazy. It's like, oh, they were attacking the the National Guard with tear gas. It's like hey
0: you brought the tear <laughs> gas. Where do you think they got it? <laughs> you just brought that tear Where gas. Do you think they got it.
1: If you're gonna say it's inexcusable for protesters to throw tear gas, don't throw it yourself. Like you're mad that they became they came prepared with fucking handkerchiefs,
0: Hankies? Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like that's the. The thing that I question most of all is, like, at what point in our history, and this is a rhetorical question, but one I also want to find an answer to, like, at what point in our history did an act of protest go from being a foundational, like, reason for being Mm -hmm. here, right? When did that shift from that to being completely inexcusable, something that makes you an other, a deviant, Mm -hmm. Mm Like, what was that moment even?
1: That is way too complicated of a question for us to answer.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I am sure that it has something to do with abolitionism.
1: Yeah. But
0: I would have to dig a little bit deeper.
1: I would probably say you're right. Yeah. Uh, Because
0: I didn't spend four years working in the Black Abolitionist Archives for nothing.
1: That is true. That is true. That was a fun job.
0: You know, it really was. It really, was. It
1: really <laughs> was. Anyway, so for... I have just, like, a couple more bullet points. For what it's worth and however much it matters, the National Guard did face investigation. <gasps> you want to know what the results of the investigation were? Ooh.
0: I want to
1: know? They were cleared of any and all wrongdoing.
0: Of course they were.
1: However, 25 students and faculty were indicted on charges related to that day. Wow. Yeah. And I will say that even like the survivors and other students of the time said, we don't feel like this was an entire National Guard thing. Thing. We do feel like there was a group of those twenty-eight
0: guardsmen. Something instigated that group, but exactly. And I want to know. I want to see an interview from somebody in that group. I, I want to know who the
1: fuck those people were and who the fuck was in charge of them. I want to yeah. meet those men because if you talk about fucking agitators,
0: because mm-hmm. I'm still I'm gonna, you know, conspiracy theorist. Till I die. Mm-hmm. I want to know what who the person was. Who made the hand signal? Making whatever gesture. Who made the hand signal? Yeah. Yeah. Who and why? But
1: that's also the beauty of the military, right? It's anonymity. You're all in the same. True. Your your face is covered.
0: You're a unit. You're yep.
1: You're in the same uniform. Yeah. You're anonymous, unlike the picture of a guy throwing a fucking gas can with a hanky over his mouth.
0: Right. That's a really good point. That's a really good point.
1: So that is the story of the Kent State Massacre. Hi, mom and dad.
0: (laughs) Just in time for my computer to say plug me in. (laughs)
1: Thoughts? Closing thoughts? Final arguments?
0: I just, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the time, like, I really, especially when things are politically charged Because, you know, my my views are definitely strong and unapologetic. So I try really, really, really hard to flex my brain to, you know, put myself Mm -hmm. in whatever logic of the other side. And sometimes I can find that logic and I can understand, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can understand as much as I disagree with it. I can understand where somebody who is a staunch pro-lifer comes from. I can understand their Mm -hmm. logic. I don't agree with it. I can understand it. You know, when it comes to something like abuse of military power, I, I just have a really hard time bending my brain that way. I have a really hard time with it. So I just feel like I'm going to have to spend a little bit of time reflecting just to see if I can figure out because like right now, I can't figure it out. And I'm sure that it's partially the rage and partially the fear partially the four-month sleep regression that my baby is going through. But I can't – I my brain is just not being elastic enough for me to find that right now. I cannot figure out how you could justify that. I – And I'm genuinely curious. Like, that's not a combative question. Like, I'm genuinely curious. Like, how do you come to that conclusion, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Mm-hmm. You're giving people a lot more credit than I am. Because <laughs> I really don't know. Like, I really – I don't have any of those factors on the beer. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, how do you explain that other than – I wish I had a better term than brainwashing because I feel like brainwashing makes it sound silly. But conditioning. Uh Like Mm -hmm. we are conditioned to believe certain ways and – just like I'm conditioned to believe the way that I am, but I think the question is who's right. doing the conditioning yeah. and where is that coming from? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And from a historical perspective, it was, you know, it, it looked so different than, than it does now, mm-hmm. you know, like now I think our conditioning is obviously much stronger because we have so many more things in our faces all the time mm-hmm. that, you know, push our own narratives, right? Like, All of your social media is designed to confirm your narrative already, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So, as much, like, rope as you can give people, I'm very curious about, like, how you come in, in, you know, in that time period. Like, how do you come to such a strong, strong, staunch conclusion that way? Yeah. Well, I'm sad. I'm sorry. Yeah, that story makes me, it just makes me sad because, I mean, at the end of the day, like, what you're looking at is, like, young people that really, really, really believed in something very, very important, and what happened to them that day was absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were a survivor of that happening, how are you not traumatized from Mm -hmm. that, you know? Um, If you're injured from that day obviously you're carrying weight, you know? And those four people that lost their lives that I'm sure had all the potential in the universe. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Like, it's emotionally horrifying what happened that day. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be what I would want people to keep an eye on remembering, mm-hmm. is, like, four young people that really believed in something. Well, I
1: it's also people that really believed in something and also people that were just trying to go about their bystanders. day. Bystanders, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. Two of them and, are bystanders, and, basically. And I think
1: yeah. that both sides of that is equally important to remember and equally important to pay, And equally tragic. Yeah. 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 So, oof.
0: Yeah.
1: How about uh, well. you <laughs> cheer us up?
0: <laughs> oh, is that my job? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! I did it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh boy. Oh, I'll
1: boy. do the emotional okay. labor here. Um, I don't know any jokes <laughs> to
0: make this better. <laughs> you can't. You can't. I need to um, eat some Jello and go to bed about it. But uh, uh, are you asking me what we're talking about next? Yes, time? that's what I actually meant to say. Okay. Well. In light of its recent uh, very interesting resolution, we will be covering the I sixty five
1: killer. Ooh, exciting! Mm-hmm. I'm psyched about
0: this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I um, it'll take us to uh, Indiana and a, a little itty bitty bit of Kentucky, itty-bitty. which is not technically the Midwest, but we've been there. You know, it's yeah, it's just that itty bitty little, just the tip, just, just the, the tip. tip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got to get that's where the, the creationist museum, um, museum is i know i know i've been going i have been to be I have there, been there. Um, really
1: huh
0: oh when
1: a couple of years ago yeah really it's it's upsetting
0: interesting anyway i'll tell you about it at a different uh, time
1: tell us about uh the i-65 killer
0: yeah well that's all i'm okay. gonna tell you um we are gonna be covering the i-65 killer we're gonna be in indiana slash a little tiny bit of kentucky it's going to be uh, the early 1980s, and uh, it's going to be scary. Um, so, we'll be telling the story of a number of women who were attacked and killed, uh, particularly at hotels on the I-65 corridor. All right. Well, that sounds terrifying. And the resolution that took over 30 years to come to fruition. Well, that
1: sounds terrifying because I have driven that strip of road many times. So, I can't I know, me wait. Too.
0: yeah yeah so come back for that midwretched yeah all right good job today thank you that's a good one uh so midwretched friends um i would just really encourage you to to do some brain bending thought experiments um as a result of this case like wherever you sit wherever you land whether it's um extreme in one way or the other or somewhere in that gooey little plasma zone in the middle like just take some time to kind of examine like i don't know where your belief system sat you on this case and why i just think that would be a really valuable thing to think and
1: about. i'll encourage you to burn down an rotc building <laughs> just kidding don't do that please please don't actually do that i cannot <laughs> afford to get sued
0: yeah you just gotta <laughs> sue, right? we don't have any money <laughs> That's true. (laughs) We'll start monetizing at some point. (laughs) Join our Patreon to pay our legal bills because I'd say dumb shit. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, Well, on that note, uh, (laughs) be nice. Don't burn buildings down. Eat cheese instead of burning buildings down. That's right. That's right. And when you want to burn down a building, just remember that we love you. We love you, and we don't want you. to go to jail and we don't, don't want to go to jail no and we don't want to have to tell the story of you going to jail i already have to tell the story of somebody i know currently awaiting trial for murder i don't want that do it episode's
1: again. coming
0: it's gonna be crazy
1: all right i bye, bye, y'all. Y'all. bye. <laughs>
0: Well, let's get our sparkle on sparkles sparkles Wait, should i drink alcohol <laughs> why are you asking me this i don't know because you're my spirit i have a you know? backup <laughs> okay <laughs> hold on i'll go get my beer and then and then we'll be really really ready to go <laughs> okay.
1: soldiers and nixon's coming we're finally on our own this it summer i hear the drumming for dead in ohio mm.
0: is that your You're favorite right. that an excellent <laughs> song? it is now okay. it is now that's an excellent song